Church. My name is Addie Middleton and I'm the Cares Pastor here and I have my daughter up on stage with me. What's your name? Um, Mary Catherine Middleton. <laughs> Mary Catherine and uh, today is a really special day. Can you tell them what today is? Bread day. 
It's bread day, that's right. It's communion today. So we're going to have communion. So if you're joining us online, be sure to grab the element so you can receive communion with us later on in the service. And if you're here in our congregation with us, I ask you to stand. Uh, If you're able, as we align our hearts and say the Lord's Prayer together. Let's bow our heads. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Sweet Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather and just align our hearts as we worship and invite you into this space. Father God, we pray a blessing over Pastor Scott as he delivers this message today and allow us the opportunity to make room for you today and in this season. We thank you for your son and it's in his name we ask all these things. Amen. Amen. Are y'all ready to kick this Christmas season off or what? It's going to be a great year. We're so glad that you're here. We're just going to begin it with worship this morning. So y'all join in with us.
got nothing new How could I express All my gratitude I could sing these songs As I often do Every song
do what you want to say to us through your word what you want to speak to us through your holy spirit what you want to convict us of what you want to just make us aware of god i pray in all that we would draw closer to you and just become more in awe of you and and just to see and be a part of this greater story that you call us to god that, that is for everybody each and every person god no matter how far we've run or how much we're turning away or just how much sometimes god we act like we have it figured out on our own, but we do not. Jesus, it's because of what you have done and because of the life that, that you have and that you offer to us that we are able to have life abundant here, life eternal in the future, and a hope that's very present and very real each and every day. So thank you for that, God. So thank you just for bringing us together to lift up our voices and worship to you. You alone are worthy of it. We thank you for it. We look forward to um, just what's to come as we continue on in worship to you. We love you so much. We thank you so much. We praise you. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen, amen. Can we just lift up a shout of praise? Thank the Lord for bringing us here. Um, such a great time to get to start our time together with uh, song and praise. Before you guys sit down, if you would just say hello to somebody around you. Welcome them to CLC. And if you're joining us online, we'll be right back on. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today on this uh, no longer raining Sunday morning. 
my, my name is Scott Verno, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor to have you here in our family room or to have you joining us online. Um, I believe we've got a wonderful service for you. Worship has already been awesome. I'm looking forward to the message. Um, I just love this time of year, and so thank you for, for being here. At Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And so our hope is that you will discover Jesus and you'll hold on to that source of life with everything that you have, but then you'll also share that source of life with every person that you encounter. And if there's anything we can do to stand alongside you in this journey, uh, we would love to have that, that opportunity. So um, in a moment, we're gonna be starting a, a new sermon series that, that I'm excited about, but let me go ahead and tell you a few things that are coming up uh, to catch you up as, as we kind of move into this holiday season. So the first thing is this, that on Wednesday night, we have a very special service. It's called our Angel of Hope service, Wednesday night at seven o'clock. And, and this is when we gather together to remember um, the children that we've lost. And so maybe in your family, you've lost a child. It doesn't matter whether through miscarriage or a child of any age. Uh, this just gives us an opportunity during the season to gather and to find friends and family that are maybe walking that same journey where we can discover hope. Um, we'll have a time of worship. And then we'll have a, a message that Pastor Addie will be preaching. And then we'll have a candlelight service. And then we'll take flowers and we'll place them at the, at the statue, the Angel of Hope statue, just in remembrance of those children. And so if, if you're walking that journey, we don't want you to do that alone. And we would love to just have that time and that service. And so that's this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. We also have um, one of the things that we're looking for is, is Advent Angel help coming up next Sunday morning. So one thing that you guys do so marvelously every single year is you adopt all of our Advent angels for our seniors and for our children. Well, the next Sunday morning, you're bringing all of those gifts and everything in. And this place is a madhouse. And it takes everybody to try and help sort it all out because you'll pull up underneath the portico, we'll unload all those gifts. And we've got people that will running them, be running them back and forth. And we just need help to jump in and be a part of that. So if you could show up earlier to one of the services and maybe volunteer for that service and then stay after, we'd appreciate it. Um, but if that's you, stop by, see Robin out in the lobby or stop by the front desk and uh, they'll get your name on the list and, and um, you can help us to get all that sorted out. And then last but not least, one of the cool things that, that Pastor Addie's been doing um, over the Advent season is she put together um, this Advent devotional and it kind of connects to our, our sermon series called Making Room. And really what it is, is it's a card for each one of the 24 days of the Advent season. And I think we're already on date, I don't know what the date is today, third or fourth. So if you're getting one today, um, you're gonna be a couple days behind. But what you do is you take the card and on the back side of it, there's a scripture verse. And then there's a suggestion for how you can make room for Jesus. So as a family, maybe pick up one of these on your way out. There's still a few outside. And uh, just follow along with the church as we go through the rest of December. And it's just a great way to stay connected and to be reminded that we need to constantly be making room for Jesus. If you've been to the mall, I especially encourage you to make room for Jesus during this holiday season. <laughs> okay, so um, I, I love this time of year. And um, as we're, we're making room for uh, as we're moving into this new series called Make Room, I love Christmas. I love the stories. I love unpacking them. I love the stage and how it looks and the manger and everybody kind of, they feel a little bit different. Um, I love Christmas plaids. I love wearing plaids, but Jason in the back won't let me wear them because they look wonky on camera. Uh, you folks at home would be looking at like a pixelated screen. So I have to wear tastefully colored cuffs on my sweater so that I can enjoy the Christmas season and then dress in solid so I don't blow any cameras up. But I love this time of year. 
And so as we kind of move into this season, what we're asking you to consider is to make room for Jesus. In Luke chapter two, verse seven, Luke tells us this. He says that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger. Now, if you're just reading that story and you're thinking about the Messiah, you're like, laid him in a what? A manger in a barn in a trough? Why was he laid in a manger? Scripture goes on to tell you, because there was no room for him in the inn. There was no room. Now, you ever wonder if the innkeeper would like to have a do-over? Anybody ever wonder about that? I mean, like hindsight is twenty-twenty, right? So you wish that person could get another shot at making a different decision. Because if that innkeeper had any idea that the mother that was standing in front of him was about to give birth, whether you believe in Jesus as the Son of God or not, was about to give birth to the single most influential person to ever walk this planet. I think they would have kicked somebody out of that inn. I'm just saying, they would have broke the rules and they would have made space, but they didn't. Can we all agree that that might be the biggest miss of history? All right, so somebody got fired on that day and they missed out on that. And so we're inviting you to make room. In fact, that's what I'm asking you to do, is that throughout this holiday season, my hope is that you will be intentional about making room for Jesus. And I'm not talking about just Jesus, the person who walked this earth. I'm talking about Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. We're talking about the incarnation, that God opened up heaven and came to earth so that we would see a living, breathing example of the spirit of God, of the heart of God, and how it represents and how it works inside of this world so that we would know how to turn and live. And so in this series, we're inviting you to make room for Jesus, the Christ. And here's what I would say to you. In all of our activities in life, whenever you make room, that means you have an expectation that something is going to fill that space. And so let me go ahead and set the expectation for you. I believe if you are diligent and obedient in making room, that God will fill that space. That whatever it is that you're walking through, if you're willing to make room for Jesus, that I think Jesus will meet you right where you're at and you will experience his love, grace, mercy, whatever it is that you're walking through that you need in this time of season. For some of you, it's direction. For some of you, it is um, resource. For some of you, it is wisdom and discernment. Whatever that is, I think if you make room, God is going to meet you right where you're at. And I'll go ahead and set that expectation because I believe that that's what God does. And so hopefully you'll, you'll join us in this journey and that you'll start to make room. Now, what we're going to do in this series is we're going to study the Christmas story in context, looking at some of the characters that you know and love so well. But the different spin on this series is we're going to ask the question of their life. What does it look like for them to make room? What was the cost that they had to pay to make room for Jesus? And then we're going to understand that in their context so we can wrestle it over into our context and ask ourselves, what does it look like to make room in a similar scenario as life is unfolding? And so today we're going to start by looking at Joseph. And we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. So if you want to follow along in your Bible, you can go ahead and flip to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible or you don't want to use your phone, we'll have the scriptures up on the screen. And we just encourage you to follow along. But let me go ahead and set this up for you and, and give you some information that um, you may already know. But for some of you, this may be new information. That although Matthew is the first gospel that we find in our New Testament, it's not historically believed to have been the first gospel that was written. Biblical scholars believe that Mark was the first gospel written. Now you may say, Scott, why does that even matter? It, it matters, and let me tell you why. When Mark wrote his gospel, 
he starts his gospel account from the baptism of Jesus and the introduction of John the Baptist. And then he goes forward into this very exciting telling of the good news. And so as the gospel message is spreading across um, the known land at the time, the really only point of reference that they had was the, the stories that were being shared, but also Mark's gospel. So one of the natural questions that might have come up, and if, if, let's just use our logic. If we were in that time and in that place and you heard the good news, you might be very quick to say, well, where did this Jesus come from? Did he fall out of the sky at 30 years of age and was baptized and went into ministry? What was his birth story? Where did it, where did, what was the origin? And so you find the next two gospels that are written, Luke and Matthew, they tackle the birth narratives or the, the um, infancy narratives or the Christmas story. And it's from those two gospels that we tell the Christmas story where we get all of the details, whatever it is that they provide for us. We have to mine in there and discover the story of where Jesus comes from and what that time might've been like. But what you have to know is that Luke and Matthew are writing to a particular context. Just like I'm preaching to Gulf Breeze, they had people that were in front of them that they were writing to. And so Luke, he was writing to a Gentile, a Greek audience. And so he writes in a particular way. And so what you find out about Luke, and I love this, this was our Christmas series last year, is that Luke takes the songs of the faith. And so during that time, the early church, they would sing songs when they came together and those songs would tell the early stories. And so the songs, you'll remember them, there were the Magnificat, which is Mary's story, Zachariah's story and the angel's story. Um, Luke writes them down and then he fills in the rest of that, that birth narrative by telling the story as you lead into those songs. That's how he tells his story to a very Greek audience or a, a Gentile audience, those who aren't Jewish. But Matthew's a little different. And so Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. And so for him, he wants this Jewish audience to know, we talked about this in our series on Matthew not long ago, that if you want to believe in Jesus, that you do not have to abandon your Jewish roots or your Jewish faith, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. And so for Matthew, he uses genealogy, he uses history, he uses prophecy to tell the story of Jesus in these infancy narratives. Shouldn't surprise us, all of that details there. And so as we study it, we can't overlook that. We have to look at it in context and try and realize what Matthew is telling us. And so today, as we dive in, it shouldn't surprise us that Matthew starts off in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, by saying an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham. So he chooses Abraham as the connection for the Jewish faith and the promise. And he chooses David as being the king and ultimately showing Jesus as being the heir to the throne. So Matthew establishes that genealogy in the beginning of chapter one. And then we get over to our chapter in verse 18. And he says, now the birth. And so here we go, we're gonna tell the story and I'm gonna read, talk about it. And then at the end of the service, we'll receive communion and, and, and we'll get you out of here today to go wrestle about college football. Y'all okay with that? Because there's some that are ha happy and there are some that are very, very frustrated today. And so we're gonna dive into scripture and Jesus is gonna meet us right where we are. Here we go. So verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. I love that Matthew doesn't start off and, say, and he doesn't say, once upon a time. This is not a random story that took place in a random spot. No, he's going to anchor this story in the lives of real people with a real genealogy. But he's not just saying Jesus. He qualifies that this is Jesus the Messiah. 
Now, for all of us that are not Jewish, that understanding of the Messiah is the same as if I was to say to you, let me tell you about Jesus, the Son of God that is born. That's how he starts this story off, by drawing you into this narrative. He's not just telling us an account. He's bringing us into the greatest story ever been told, the incarnation of the Son of God. <clears throat> and then the next sentence, still in verse 18, he packs so much information in this next sentence. Here he goes. He says, when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now this verse has so much information and you have to understand context to be able to put all the pieces together. And so let's just start off and look at it. He says, when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, so there's an engagement going on. And then he says, but before they lived together, so now there's an engagement, but then you have to do math, engagement math. So what Matthew's telling you is that there's this couple, Matthew and Joseph. They're engaged, but they're not living together. So you have to dive back in and understand what culture would have said during the time. So marriage at the time was a business contract made between two families. And when two families agreed that, that these two would be married together, um, the husband-to-be was given a certain amount of time to prepare a space for his bride. Now, this will make sense to some of you when you hear this scripture I'm about to tell you. It'll, it'll make sense. Do you remember where Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, you will know to come to the place to where I'm at because there are many rooms in my what? My father's house. And so what the husband would do or the husband-to-be is he would go and he would build or add a room onto his father's house to make room for his bride. Jesus was talking about the bride of Christ, about his church. I go to prepare a place for you. And so it's the same understanding in this marriage covenant that Joseph being betrothed to Mary, but not living together, has about a year to go build this space on his father's house. And some of you fathers are out there like, mm-mm, you ain't adding on to my house. Like you take that stuff somewhere else, right? But that's how they lived back then. It's the same in Zimbabwe. Um, we have one of, the, one of the gentlemen, Darby, that ministers at the church there. His daughter was married and she took all of her belongings and she went to go live in the crawl, which is the space that the tribal leader gives a family to live in. And she took on that name and she took on that family. And so now she's a part of that family. Same understanding of what we're dealing with. <clears throat> but here's what happens at the end of this verse. This is where the whole thing flips upside down. It says, um, they live together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been going to church your whole life, you hear that and you think to yourself, oh, okay, it's the Christmas story. If you just showed up today and you're hearing the Christmas story for the first time and you, you might say, wait, what? There's this woman who's found to be with child with the Holy Spirit. Does anybody else think that's odd? That's kind of odd. Now, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I'm trying to be honest. These are real people that are experiencing this story. And so when Mary at some point had to go to Joseph and say, hey, I'm pregnant and it's the Holy Spirit. Could you imagine? Joseph would have been like, that's hard news to hear. And you're going with the Holy Spirit? Like, come on, like all of the different things that you could say and that's what you go with? Now, I'm not trying to be trite. I'm trying to be honest, right? This would have been a difficult thing for him to hear. It didn't line up with his faith. It didn't seem to make sense. And now why can I tell you that maybe we can feel uncomfortable about it? Because Joseph feels uncomfortable about it. Because listen to what he does next. This is a very real story. Verse 19, 
Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man, remember Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and so he wants them to know what, what Joseph is all about. He's a righteous man, which means he follows the law. And unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Now, a lot of times you read this scripture and you think, well, because he's a righteous man, that means he doesn't want to expose her to public disgrace. No, no, no. Being a righteous man means that he follows the law. And so the second part of that verse makes more sense, that because he's a righteous man, he can dismiss her. The fact that he doesn't want to um, uh, turn her out to public disgrace and the fact that he wants to do it quietly doesn't have to do with the law. It has to do with the fact that he's a kind man. So the fact that he is a righteous man means that by law, because of what he's experienced, whether she says it's the Holy Spirit or not, gives him the ability to, at a minimum, dismiss her and to break off the engagement. At a maximum, could have been far, far worse, including stoning or even death. But he doesn't do that. So, so Matthew tells us not only is Joseph a righteous man, he's also a kind and just and caring individual. So we find out something about this Joseph who has his whole world turned upside down in one moment. Imagine the heartache that you would be going through, thinking about, praying about, you're about to be married, everything's coming together, you're working on this house, partially finished, and then you get this news. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine how I would have responded in that moment. Verse 20, but just as he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now this is such a powerful part of scripture. And I'm gonna tell you, it's the first of three times that angels show up to Joseph. Um, Joseph in this scripture is, um, th th I, I thought this was, I, I did a little bit of digging and I'm 100% maybe sure about this. Joseph is never given one, one single word in scripture. He's not given one single word in scripture. But here we find the angel showing up to him. Joseph just shows up as somebody that's completely and totally obedient. But the angel of the Lord shows up to him and he shows up to him in a dream. Now remember, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. And this was lost on me for years. And then I was reading through a, um, a commentary and it, and it jumped out and got me. What Matthew's doing in this text is he's connecting us to the greater story. Because if you remember your Old Testament, there was another Joseph. And the trademark of that Joseph in the Old Testament was that Joseph was a dreamer. And if you remember, Joseph had a dream that he was elevated and he saved his people and all of his brothers bowed down to him. Remember Joseph with the, the colorful jacket that was then his family didn't like his dreams and, and tried to kill him, but then figured it was better just to sell him into slavery and make a little bit of money off him. And ultimately he paves the way for them to go to Egypt. And out of that time in exile in Egypt, we see the story of Moses come up and we see the revealing of this first savior figure, Moses, that leads his people out of captivity. So the story of Joseph in the Old Testament as the dreamer is really the revealing of that first iteration in the natural of a savior, if you will, or someone that leads him in exile. So Matthew does something masterfully here. He connects and he lifts up Joseph as a dreamer. And if you are a Jewish person, you may have connected the two stories. Now, I want to be careful. He's not rewriting the story to match what happened. Matthew sees similarities. And when you see similarities in scripture and similarities in life, you have nothing to do but go ahead and mention them. That maybe God is acting in the very same way. And if you go through the whole story, I would tell you it's a very similar story. Now, why do I tell you all that? I have no idea. 
I love it. I love finding things like that. And some of you that's diving down deep into scripture, that may jump out to you and it may send you on a rabbit trail and you may unlock a piece of theology that changes the world forever. I love it. This is why I love studying scripture. And so he appeared to him in a dream and he says, Joseph, son of David. Now something important. Joseph's immediate father's name is Jacob. Notice that the angel didn't say Joseph, son of Jacob. What does he say? He says, Joseph, son of David. Who's he connecting to? King David. He's saying, Joseph, I want you to remember that you are heir to the king. You're heir to the throne. And what I'm trying to get you to realize is what I'm doing through your life in the, in the appearing of this child. He says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That's interesting. So now he in this dream, hears this message that this child is truly from the Holy Spirit. And then he says, Mary is going to bear a son and you are to name him Jesus. Now, why is that significant? Now we know that Joseph um, does, not have, does not have relations with Mary. And so the seed is from the Holy Spirit. It's not from Joseph. But here's the marker inside the Jewish faith. When the husband names a child, then that child carries that lineage. And if you just want a little bit of thought on this, go back to when God changes the name of Abraham. He changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And what does Abraham become known as? Abraham is, uh, uh, is the God of Abraham. They got forever connected to them. And so what's happening here is, is when um, Joseph names Jesus, then he takes that lineage and he connects Jesus. Now, don't be worried. Um, Mary can also trace her lineage all the way back, and they do in the Gospel of Luke, all the way back to Adam. So Jesus' lineage is true, but, he all, but, but Scripture in Matthew takes and connects both parents all the way back through to prove that this Jesus is the Messiah and that his responsibility would be to name them. Now, the last part of this verse is odd. He says, for he will save his people from their sins. It would have been so much easier and so much more exciting if he would have said, this, name him and he's gonna be awesome. He's gonna be the king. You're gonna be rich and you're never gonna have a problem in your life. And how many of you know that to get this dream and say he's gonna save his people from their sins, Joseph would have been like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense, right? Like I, I can't correlate that, number one, because it almost seems in his mind that this was birthed out of sin, although now he understands it's the Holy Spirit. So he's really trying to wrestle. There's no way that he would have understood atonement and, and replacement theology to give our lives for Christ. And, but, but, but Joseph is an obedient person and he's faithful. He's a righteous person. And then in verse 22, I love this. Matthew decides to insert a scripture. Now think micro, deadliest catch. Um, you know how like you could have this whole thing unfolding and then Mike adds some sort of commentary on the side. It's almost as if Matthew inserts himself into the story to say, hey, let me give you a hint as to what's unfolding. Because for Matthew and his audience, he wants them to know that scripture is unfolding right before their very eyes. Verse 22, he says, all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And this is in Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, verse 23. And here's the quote. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel. And Matthew defines it for us, which means God is with us. 
And so Matthew gives us this understanding to, to not just read this story and go, what's going on here? He's gonna save them from their sins. Imagine if you were in that first century and you were trying to realize this birth story. Matthew drops that in for you to connect it to the Testaments that he had been reading so you can see that this is God moving. And then verse 22. Remember, Joseph is a righteous man. He doesn't get any words spoken in all of scripture, but what he is, is obedient. Verse 22, or I'm sorry, verse 22. Nope, 24. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, he took her as his wife, but he had no marital relationship with her until she had born a son. So he kept the lineage pure and he named him Jesus. And so we get this story of Joseph that, um, you know, if you just read through it, there's so many parts of that that you might miss. But this is our Christmas story through the lens of Joseph. Now, I'll be honest with you. As we go through and we read this Christmas stories, it would be so easy to become tone deaf to all this, right? I mean, Holy Spirit, Son of God, Joseph, angel, go here, go there. I mean, we hear the story and we're like, oh, that's really cool. The heavens are gonna open up and the angels are gonna show up, blah, 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 right? We become tone deaf to it. What I want you to consider for just a moment is that these are very real people that walk this earth. These are very real people that were living life, that were walking through moments and then life changed forever. And so if you'll just humor me and go on this ride with me for a moment, I want you to consider what it must have been like for Joseph and try to put yourself in the story. I love taking our backsides and moving from one seat to another and considering what it must have felt like for Joseph, wrestling it to the ground in his context. So we have Joseph, a good, righteous Jewish man. He's of the lineage of David. He has royal heritage flowing through his veins. He's faithful, he's devout, he is a rule follower and he's doing everything that he knows to be right. Um, he's pledged to be married to Mary. And so this is a joyful time. There's an engagement that's happened. There's an anticipation they're looking forward to. Um, it could be crazy for the families around, but at least for Mary and Joseph, they were excited and they were looking forward to it. Um, there would have been a business deal that had taken place and there would have been um, expectations that would have been established. But all in all, the community would have been moving towards this. Joseph would have been building a room in my thought and in my mind. He would have been establishing and building all of that and putting it all in place. But then in one moment, Joseph is confronted with the worst possible nightmare that he could ever possibly imagine. And please hear this, of no fault of his own, none. He didn't do anything to deserve this. The life that he was preparing for, literally building with his own hands, the life that he fell asleep thinking about and dreaming about, the life that he woke up thinking about in one foul swoop was now blown away. And Joseph, out of his own righteousness, decides, I'm just going to dismiss this and walk away from it. So, which is already a big step for him to make, but he chooses to just walk away from it. But that's when God shows up and invites him to make room. So go with me for a second on this. To make room, and he gives them this insight. To, to make room for the one that will save his people from their sins. He doesn't understand that, but he knows that he's being invited to make room. And here's the question. What did making room for Joseph look like? 
for him to make a decision, what would change in his life for him to make room for Jesus in our Christmas story? More than likely, it means that in his community, he would face ridicule. That in his community, he would, he would have to raise someone else's child and know that every single person that he encounters can do math and they know and that story is gonna carry on forever. And so every conversation is going to be carried about behind closed doors about what happened inside this relationship. In the world's eyes during this time, if he was to take Mary on and this baby that we hear came from the Holy Spirit, but you know, um, then maybe he wouldn't be deemed in the world's eyes as being righteous. What was he doing? Was he gonna do about his plans? Plans of being married and excited about the future, he's going to at least have to shelve them because on day one, he's going to be married to a pregnant woman and she's gonna require all sorts of things that he's gonna have to be attentive to. And then here's one, and I wanna go back and research this, that I think for him to make this decision probably means that he's going to find himself separated or ostracized from his family. Now, I've gone back and tried to consider and think about this, and the only family or familial connection I can find is when Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, and Elizabeth becomes a safe place for her. But for Joseph, we never find those family connections. And so it's possible that for him to make room for what God wanted to do in his life, that he had to cut ties, or maybe a better way to say it is that his family might have cut ties with him because he decided to go forward with this relationship with Mary. And so by all accounts, in a time when family heritage, culture, when it mattered to, to such a degree, when he made room for Jesus, it changed his life forever. And it wasn't anything that he asked for. But Joseph makes room, he marries Mary, he protects the divine lineage, and he names Jesus. And so now let's wrestle this into our context, right? Let me ask this question for us to consider. When adversity lands in our laps, even when it's not something that we've done, is it possible for us to make room for Jesus? When you wake up and you receive news, maybe not even something you've done, that rocks your world to the core, do you have the ability to make room for Jesus? For some of you here today, you were working towards retirement. And you had great plans and things were laid out. And now you find yourself raising your grandchildren and you're going to middle school band performances. God bless you because you're making room, right? I asked the question, when something happens in life, do you have the ability to make room? For some of you, you've lost a child, you've lost a spouse, or you've lost a parent that you weren't expecting. You didn't ask for it, but it changed your world forever. It rocked you to your very core. Do you have the ability in those moments to make room for Jesus to do something inside of that scenario, in that adversity? For some of you, you're wrestling with a child that's in your life that has struggled with addiction and they never seem to be able to deal with or get over that addiction. And you're having to make decisions to change your life, to invest, to move, to go to places, to do things that you never thought you'd be doing because of this thing that's happening in your life. Do we have the ability to make room to adjust, to allow God to bring us to a different place? For some of you, you didn't plan on the economy doing what it's doing and you're having to go back to school. What does it look like for us to make room? 
What does it look like to, to walk away from the life that we're living in now and go rub shoulders with people that don't look like us or sound like us to bring ministry and to bring love to another person? What does it look like for us to make room? At some point, we have to wrestle that to the ground because we all have moments that, that we didn't plan for that show up in our lives. And, and here's what I want you to hear. There is a verse in this scripture that this morning, I was I, at four o'clock in the morning, I was going through trying to figure out what's the main point. And I'm gonna tell you, I think this is the main point for this entire series. The verse that Matthew gives us has a real subtle shift in it. He says in Isaiah 7, 14, he says, look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel. And then he defines it and he says, God is with us. Now, if you go into the story, Mary and Joseph they don't name Jesus Emmanuel. They name him Jesus. And so what is scripture saying when it says, and they shall name him Emmanuel? What scripture is saying is that the people who make room for him will discover that God is with us. And so here's what I want to tell you today. And I will, I will set this expectation. If in the worst day of your life, you are willing to make room for God, I believe that you will discover Emmanuel because if God says he'll be there, I'm telling you he'll be there and he'll reveal himself to you as God with us. That there is a powerful understanding and moment of a God that will meet you right where you are. But there's a part of this world where we've gotta be willing to make room. We allow our lives to be so clouded and so full of everything else and we've got to take the time to push some of that garbage out of the way so that we can hear, so that we can receive, so that we can understand and maybe get the direction and the hope and the peace and the strength that God is trying to offer us. And my promise is to you that if you're willing to open up and make room, that God will meet you right where you're at and my hope is that you will experience Emmanuel. Amen? I'd like to invite our communion stewards to come forward as we prepare our hearts for communion. You know, it's, it's so beautiful that we, we have the opportunity here in this season, 21 days away from Christmas Eve. Did you guys catch that? Catch that? Huh. 21 days away from handing out candles and singing Silent Night. It seems perfect to me that we have the opportunity to gather around this table and to remember. What does it mean to remember? It means to make room. It means to make room. When Jesus sat with his disciples on that, on that faithful night, when he would be arrested, he took some, some very simple elements, bread and wine or juice, and he, he challenged them. But I, oh, oh, boy, that was almost a mess. He challenged them. And the challenge was this, to remember. He took bread, he gave thanks, and then he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat, do so in remembrance of me. As often as you eat, make room for the greater story. As often as you eat, allow your heart to be aware of the one that was given for you. And then in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And as often as you drink, do so in remembrance. As often as you drink, make room to remember the one whose life was given so that you can find yourself 
whole, healed, and sinless today because of the blood that was shed for you. And so as we are about to pray and prepare our hearts, I hope that every single person here would take a moment to make room. Some of you, you will have God speak to your heart. And before you walk out of this building, God is going to give you something that you need because you're willing to make room. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the bread and for the juice. They seem such simple elements, but God, they become sacraments when we offer them to you. That God, you are present to us in these moments to reveal to us a greater story. God, and as we make room for that greater story in our lives, then we receive not only the natural sustenance, but we also receive the spiritual awakening inside of our hearts of what it means to have our lives broken and our lives given away to a world that is so desperate and so hurting. So God, help us to make room today. And I pray for each and every person that's here today. There's not one hurt. There's not one loss. There's not one person that has struggled and been, been wounded, that has fallen off and, and outside of your purview. God, you're aware of all of us. And today, Lord, I pray that we would experience your presence in a very palpable way, in healing, hope, and restoration. God, we love you. We trust you. And it is in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Now, as the communion stewards um, prepare, uh, I want you to know that you, you do not have to be a member of Community Life Church to, to, take, to receive communion with us. Um, you're here, you're part of the family, and uh, you're welcome to join us at the table. And we have a gluten-free alternative for those who have special dietary needs, and either myself or, or Pastor Addie would love to be able to serve you. Um, we receive communion by intinction. That's a fancy church word. That means if you come down, you just hold your hands out. We'll place the bread or the cracker in your hands and then you can take it and dip it in the cup and receive communion that way. If you're nervous about the germs that are going around, uh, we have individually wrapped communion elements at each station. You can take one of those. If you have family members at home, we invite you to take plenty so that you can bring communion back to them and serve them when they get home. And then last but not least on the stage, we have baskets. And every time we receive communion, we take up a communion offering. And um, you guys are just so incredible. We use this offering to, to help with electric bills and water bills and provide counseling and, and, and help for people, single mothers. It's, it's just a, a wonderful way that you minister to this community. And thank you for, for helping to be a part of that. So the table is set. And um, I invite you, first few rows, to stand and, and make your way forward um, as you are able.
this is my surrender here is where i lay it down every lie and every time this is my surrender and i will make room for you to do whatever you One of the things we'll ask you to consider to pray for this week is that Tammy, my lovely wife, is leading a team to Nicaragua and they're going down there to love on some children this week and working on crafts and all sorts of fun stuff. So um, as you're praying and as you're thinking about the work that is going on around the world, be praying for her and her team. And um, we're just looking forward to seeing God show up in so many amazing ways this holiday season. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, and we thank you for the work that you're doing not just here in our church and in our lives, but God around the world. And today we pray over Tammy and her team and, and just ask that you would go before them, allow everything to fall in place exactly as it's supposed to. And um, God, lead them, guide them. And I pray that there are those God moments that happen that are just indescribable, where they get to see you move in such a palpable, beautiful way, bringing life to, um, to, to Nicaragua, or let's even say this, bringing life back to Gulf Breeze from what they experience in Nicaragua. And for all of us as we go, Lord, lead us and guide us. We love you, we trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful week, thank you.
What's the certain for shepherd?